My name is Peter Ward, and welcome to the Solutions to Go podcast, your source for information on investing, insurance, banking, tax planning, and healthy living. If you'd like to know more about anything discussed on this podcast, please visit mysolutionsonline.ca, where you'll find a wide variety of articles and videos. Today, we're talking about something that will be familiar to a lot of us, debt. Canadians are the most indebted people in the world. With an eye-popping $1.83 of debt for every dollar earned. Now, you can blame inflation, the rising cost of living, or the ever more expensive housing market. But this has been a trend on the march since the early 90s. Today, I'm sitting down with David Fraser from Manulife Bank. We're going to find out how we got here and what we might be able to do about it. Welcome to Solutions to Go, David. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's start at the beginning. How did we as Canadians get here? You hear a number like that, and that's just the average. So some people have way less, but it means that some Canadians may have even more. What are the economic conditions that maybe helped cause this problem? Yeah, we'll have to do a bit of a a history lesson on this one. Go back to maybe 2008, 2009, during the financial crisis. Central banks around the world had to cut interest rates to try and stimulate the economy because of the uncertainty that you know took place uh, around the problems that were going on in the markets at the time, and and so we've kind of been living in this artificially depressed interest rate environment since then. At the onset of the pandemic, central banks put further downward pressure again because of the uncertainty in the economy. People didn't know what was going on. Were, were consumers going and businesses going to continue to spend? And so I think Canadians just got used to it. You know, it's funny to say that a 15-year anomaly, but that's really what it was in artificially low interest rates. And so, you know, consumers uh, began to form their spending patterns around this low interest rate environment. Uh, They got used to uh, cheap money, so to speak. Um, you know, so they didn't really see household debt as an impediment. They continued to accumulate more and more debt because it didn't cost them a whole ton in interest, right? They could continue to amass uh, more consumer debt, more household debt, um, and it and th- th- it didn't really cost them much, right? They weren't, weren't paying much in the way of interest rate payments. And so when you've got a whole bunch of money uh, in debt at 2%, uh, a very different story than a whole bunch of money at 7%, which is maybe closer to today's environment. And I often hear um, some people that are a little bit older than me talk about, you know, interest rates being 18, 19% on mortgages back in the day. And, and I think that a lot of people don't have that hindsight, right? So that's a really interesting uh, way to, to look at it. You know, if, if debt's cheap, and, and you see companies do that too, you know, some companies will issue debt when they could issue common stock, but because it's so cheap, they, they do that way. So that makes sense as, as to the accumulation of the debt. For sure. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in my late 40s, so I don't remember those days as a borrower at the 18, 19% interest, but I hear stories of it. But yeah, you would obviously make very different uh, purchasing decisions as a business or as a, as a consumer if you're staring down, you know, 16, 17, 18% interests, um, you know, versus 2%. Would you be uh, more akin to refinance a vehicle uh, at two, you know, absolutely, right? And it, ma- it makes that next consumer purchase um, that much easier in your mind when, you know, 0% interest rates or 1% interest rates on a large appliance or vehicle purchase, uh, 
it's you know it's no mystery why Canadians became so indebted because of that uh, you know a, a very bubbly economy things were, were cruising around quite nicely um, but it was all artificially being propped up um, as a result of the central banks um, you know issuing such cheap debt. We talk about that that big number, the the dollar eighty three uh, in debt to every dollar earned for Canadians. Does that number, and I'm assuming it does, include mortgage debt? I know that could be a really large factor in this because the cost of real estate in Canada has been on the rise for a long time. I know it's debt, but it's an asset backed debt, and for most people, the value of their property has increased significantly. Do you see a large mortgage as a worry for most, since the asset may well cover? The, the debt if they had to sell it and, and they may end up with a bit of a profit? Maybe I can answer that in, in two ways. I, I can say from a, from a banker's standpoint, um, we're not concerned. So the, the balance sheet that we manage, um, we're on solid footing. You know, we, we monitor these risks on an ongoing basis. Um, so we're, we're not particularly worried about the portfolio and, that, and that's in large part uh, because many of our borrowers, many of our customers are sourced through our independent financial advisor network. You know, they have a sizable investment portfolio. They're typically more astute than the average Canadian or more financially savvy. Now, from the consumer standpoint, yeah, uh, you know, as, as um, you know, only one third of people with fixed rate mortgages today have had to refinance in the current interest rate environment. So, uh, you know, there's, there's two thirds of people of Canadian mortgage holders who haven't even been affected by the recent interest rate increases. And so I think there's a bit of a, of a reckoning still around the corner for some consumers. They're still holding on to their 2%, you know, five-year mortgage. And, uh, you know, they, they may not see the true effects of these interest rate increases or this, um, you know, kind of quantitative tightening, uh, you know, for the months and, and the years ahead. And I do worry a little bit about, about you know, those folks. Uh, you talked about inflation and, you know, kind of being more expensive these days. And when so much of your, you know, family budget is now being used to refinance debt, sure, that's going to have an impact. You know, do you have to pull a kid out of horseback riding lessons? Do you have to let one of the leases in the, in the house go? Um, and then eventually you're going to have that desired effect that the government's looking for, which is to reduce some spending or to kind of pull out some of that demand in the economy to effectively bring bring demand back down what will result in lower rates and that's a sobering thought that the fact that you know it feels like everything's getting more expensive we have seen all these inflationary pressures but then two-thirds of people with a fixed mortgage maybe haven't even felt the brunt of that i mean i don't know what the math is but you know going from a two and a half percent mortgage to a six percent or some, or higher could be you know, a significant chunk of your your household income. That's right. Yeah, we're we're hearing as as much as thirty to forty percent, right? So depending on the size of the mortgage, um, you know, uh, you know, your, your payment increase because of these interest rate movements by you know sometimes thirty, forty percent, and so on a couple thousand dollar a month mortgage payment, that can be a you know a significant change to the way Canadians are spending and how much they're allocating to to service their debt. Just out of curiosity, do you see the higher rates persisting for longer? Like maybe over, if someone, say, just locked in before the rates started, like five years from now, do you think we're going to be higher or lower from here? Um, nobody has a crystal ball, of course, but I think what a lot of our ad- advisors are, are, what we're seeing is a, a little bit shorter on the curve, meaning uh, I don't think anybody 
you know, without a crystal ball is locking in for a typical five-year, you know, principal and interest payment anymore. Because I think the sentiment uh, amongst many borrowers is that this is a bit of a temporary measure by the Bank of Canada to put the brakes on an economy that's otherwise, you know, not spiraling out of control, but uh, overspending, right? Too many people are too, you know, too many people chasing too few goods and services. And so I think, um, you know, what most people are saying is they're they're taking a term that's kind of, you know, middle kind of two, three year to try and uh, ride out this, what they might believe is a bit of a blip in interest rates. And then it might um, settle back down in a little bit more of an equilibrium that's more manageable after that two or three year term is up. So um, yeah, nobody's got a crystal ball, but I think that's where, um, what, what we're seeing most of our, the conversations that most of our team is having. So on the back of that, let's maybe talk about good and bad debt. I always find a way to work my granddad into these podcasts, but my granddad always told me, and he still does, uh, not to buy anything I can't afford. Now, obviously, this doesn't work for a house or a vehicle, but I found that it works well when it comes to avoiding interest payments on things like a credit card. Let's maybe talk about the different strategies for using loans and credit cards. Yeah, like one one that comes to mind, you know, as the aging population a ton of their net worth is tied up in their home, right? So they have their um, paper assets, I'll call it, with their advisor, investments, insurance policies. Um, but oftentimes a half of their net worth might be tied up in a, in a home, right? So call it a, it's nothing to be a millionaire today to have a million-dollar house, right, if you're in southwestern Ontario or some of the larger Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal markets. And so a strategy that we often talk about is helping Canadians lead a better life in the pre-retirement or the retirement years by treating that asset, their home, as, a, as another tax-efficient or tax-free means to tap into retirement income. So in that, in that sense, I'd call that good debt, right? So to, to maybe talk that strategy through a little bit more, uh, you have your uh, RSP investments over the years that you've accumulated with your advisor, you're now converting those into RIF or retirement income. You might have a small pension from an employer that's uh, converting into a locked-in vehicle of some kind. So you have these different forms of retirement income, maybe some government supplements, CPP, OAS, and so on. And you look at all these levers and you decide to start taking taking money out. Your advisor sat down with you and, and you've orchestrated a, a payment plan based on your retirement income. But let's say in this environment, the markets are a little unstable, um, you know, a bit choppy, and your your portfolio happens to be down seven or eight percent. And so maybe it's an inopportune time to make a sizable withdrawal from your retirement portfolio. Tax considerations aside, because that might bump you up into another tax bracket. And again, I'm not to uh, you know, encourage you to seek out independent advice when it comes to tax matters, of course, but. Uh, Think about the home as just another forced savings account, right? So good debt would be, uh, you know, a a client who says, I'm going to take out $1,000 of home equity out of the house in the form of a home equity line of credit that might be better for the borrower at the end of the day to do that, right? Maybe a taxable withdrawal from a retirement vehicle pushes them up into the next tax bracket. Maybe, uh, like I mentioned, their investments are down by 10% and it's not the right time to make a, a large withdrawal. So I would say that that's a good strategy that you know a lot of advisors are talking to their clients about to give them another lever to pull on to make best use of the tax system and to help 
uh, clients uh, with a large purchase, if it's a large ticket item, the furnace goes and you've just retired, or maybe it's to supplement retirement income at a at thousand dollars a month. If I look at that scenario, that that's good debt, right, Peter? It's it's um, it's okay to do that because in the end, your net worth, which is really what the advisors are doing to help plan for their clients, you're better off at the end of the day. Um, so I, in that in that scenario, I think that's a great one. Um, bad debt, you know, you don't have to be a certified financial planner to say if you're if you're maintaining ongoing balances on a credit card at thirty percent or twenty, whatever it is. to debt and managing it we don't always have a choice about when or where we spend our money if the dog gets sick or the family car breaks down and suddenly you find yourself in need of cash i know a lot of us may be sitting on a huge asset which is our homes are there creative ways and products that will allow canadians to leverage and access the value in their homes now i know we just talked a little bit about this but maybe some other strategies and and accessing that value without having to sell their home a good way to answer this question maybe a different way, Peter, is to think about the flexibility or the option to have those over something like rate. And although rate is important when it comes to debt, many Canadians are conditioned to think of rate and rate only, where where there's a few other factors, time, um, that comes into play, and uh, which is amortization in a lot of cases. And so you know, a, a creative way, and maybe I'll, I'll help illustrate this in the way of a story. It doesn't answer your question directly. I'm going to come back to it, though. Absolutely. So we had a client, going back to the financial crisis, um, a manufacturing uh, a role, and uh, he and his family, he was the, the primary uh, breadwinner for the family, uh, great, making great money at a local, uh, they made cars, right? So Southwestern Ontario earned an income, life was good, lots of overtime, salary coming into the family was was quite nice. Well, because of the financial crisis, uh, it hit the automotive sector particularly hard. Um, the consumer at the time didn't end up going with us, ended up uh, you know, renewing their mortgage with another bank, uh, a better rate at the time than us, uh, that he was obligated to meet a fixed principal and interest payment every month. So because of that, he's reduced over time. He was down to a modest income, right? The, the, the plant was having part-time shifts and trying to keep everybody employed, but burned through a lot of the savings with their advisor, right? So started to, to tap into other assets to make up for that shortfall in you know, the monthly expenses. Um, depleted most of their savings with their advisor throughout the fixed five-year period. Now, thank goodness by 2013, um, you know, the economy had started to turn around over time was restored and his financial picture improved. But I think that's, you know, kind of a roundabout way to talk about the flexibility of a product like a home equity line of credit where, you know, the rate was important to that customer at the time, of course, and didn't want to pay more interest than, than what he had to. But if you look at the time horizon and the flexibility of a product that allows the consumer to say, Maybe I'm not going to put down as much this month because times are a little tight, right? So if I bring us forward from 2008 until today, uh, you know, we may be on that cliff now, right? A lot of a lot of economists are talking about a recession being around the corner. Um, you know, you look at some of the government statistics with GDP still being up, but if you look at it um, per capita, um, it, it may not be, right? We've we've 
you know, we welcomed a lot of immigrants into Canada over the last year, year and a half. And so on a per capita basis, maybe things don't look as robust. Maybe people aren't spending quite as much. So to have that flexibility, um, you know, in, in the form of that solution to, to aggressively pay it when you have the money or pull back on it regardless of the rate. And I'm not saying throw rate out the window, um, but, but I think that's a more powerful tool in the consumer's hands today over something like, you know, I can get you a 4.92 instead of 5.86 or, or whatever. That's something that people don't often factor in is, is the time, right? It's like you have a fixed rate mortgage, you have that payment every month, but your financial picture might not be the same month to month. I mean, I'm thinking especially, you know, freelancers or, or self-employed people who might get uh, lumpy money. You know, they have a, a big, they might make a big salary, but it might all come at once. It would be nice to have that flexibility to say, you know, this month, that's just, we won't put down as much. But next month when I get, you know, whatever, it, we, we can we can do that. And then we have the flexibility to even put more on if we need to. Exactly. So that, that, the flexibility in the product is, is impressive. Yeah, and, and, you know, you look at, the consumers at, at large in Canada, a lot of the banks have prepayment privileges on their fixed rate mortgages, but very few people exercise that privilege. And just as you mentioned, the reason for it is they can't ever get the money back, mm. right? So if they, you know, they, they come into a windfall, it was a good month if they're on a variable income, they're reluctant to make that lump sum against their mortgage because now they've, they've committed it. So the comfort of knowing that you have access to that money should your financial situation change, as, as you said, Peter, um, you know, that's where that flexibility comes in. And, and your, you know, rate starts to really take a back seat in, you know, in that scenario, because you're saying, that's more important to me and my family, right? I can, I can survive the economic uncertainty, or I can better manage my financial plan with my advisor, knowing that I have that flexibility built in. And I look at my own mortgage, it has the, the prepayment provision in there too, but I've never once exercised it because if I come into a windfall or something, yeah, like I can put it in there, but then I'll think, well, maybe I could have made more of it by investing or use it for something else or renovate it or, you know, so I can I can understand that hesitation from people to do that, right? And instead of just the fixed payment, then they, then they have the option, you know, I'll put it in here, you know, it, it brings down the principal and then if I need it again, we, we can bring it out. So that's, um, that's really good. Yeah, precisely. So if we could leave listeners with your top tips on debt management, what would they be? Yeah, I, I think I think our advisor network plays a critical role here. I, I really support independent financial advice. And when an advisor has the full perspective on the client's picture that includes the home, it includes debt, it includes their investments, their insurance, their group plan at work, you can you can better put together a holistic and comprehensive financial plan because debt and debt repayment might be important. It might not be, right? Uh, you know, maybe there's a, a, a young member of the family that wants to save for education and that's a top priority that the advisor's, you know, helping the family with. By and large in Canada, nobody owns debt. There's, there's, not, a, there's not an advice provider that has stepped up and said, I'm going to help the consumer base with their debt. And so that's, I think, where, you know, us as a supplier come in, in concert in working with, with independent financial advisors to just make that part of the household, you know, balance sheet, right? If you integrate debt 
into that conversation. I think with the advice from your advisor, you're better off. Um, you, know, you can you can make those trade-offs saying, you know, do I pay down my mortgage this month or do I invest in my RSP, right? That's a question that, that you see in headlines and in the media a lot, but it's way more nuanced than that, right? And so uh, an independent advisor that understands your situation in detail, that works with us, um, can help make um, an integrated approach and they're the ones that are gonna give you the best advice on what's um, right given your particular situation. Um, one other maybe in this that I can think of, Peter, is a lot of our studies that we review say that there's a psychological factor in paying off debts one at a time. And it's a bit counterintuitive. The math doesn't actually add up. Okay. Conventional wisdom is to pay high interest rate debt down first, right? Yeah. However, um, where where it has played out in reality a little better is because of the psychological win that borrowers feel despite it being a lower interest rate debt. Let's say you got a thousand bucks on your credit card and uh, uh, you know something else, uh, a line of, line of credit that's unsecured or something. If you chip away at that small debt, pay it off altogether, you know, cut the card up if you have to or whatever, um, people feel empowered to tackle their debt more effectively, and and again, the studies have shown it. So, you know, you might say, hey, just pay that high interest rate debt down first. Um, but but tackling those wins, eliminating that line off your liabilities, um, helps kind of um, make you feel better and and you know challenges you to further reduce other debts. So that that'd be another maybe a, a tip I'd give Canadians. Is that the snowball or the waterfall? <laughs> When I, we just we just did an article in Solutions about the different ways to pay off debt, and that was actually what you mentioned. There. Oh, no kidding! It, there you it, go. It is beneficial to do that, but then I think the the snowball is like pay off the highest one first because it's like a snowball effect, right? But the waterfall is kind of like drip on each one or or something like that. Anyway, right? But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just it's it's the difference between the the math and the psychology. I think it's yeah. uh, it's um, which is how. You know, many of us make decisions, right, based on based on sentiment and feeling, and then we use math to justify it after the fact, yeah, yeah. right? So I think that the psychology of of a of a win by eliminating a debt, um, the studies have shown that that consumers are are further ahead as a result. And then you could tie that into the to the you know, it's not always about rate discussion too, because it might feel better to have the flexibility uh, as opposed, you know, with a little bit of a higher rate. It, it doesn't always mean. Um, that the lowest rate product is the best. One strategy that we use with our advisors, and I don't know whether we coined the phrase or not, but we call it heap and sweep. And so a credit card for many Canadians is a convenient way at, at point of sale terminals or online purchases. Um, but of course, like many, carry high interest rate. And so what we encourage uh, a lot of people to do is use their credit card interest-free throughout the month by using it as their kind of their primary point of sale purchase. And then through an automated mechanism, sweep that across. It now sits at the home equity line of credit rate versus you know the the interest rates that are often associated with with credit cards. So that's a, that's a really good tip for for avoiding credit card interest payments because a lot of people have credit cards for the perks or the points, you know, and they have these really high interest rates. But yeah, you don't want to end up getting you know getting the monthly bill with that on there. So that's actually a really good way to. Uh, to make sure if you are paying some interest, it's at, it's at the lower rate. So I like that. Heap and sweep. Yeah, Peter, it's interesting to note from our, our debt survey that we do in concert with Ipsos, uh, Many Life Bank sponsors it twice a year. 
And you know, surprisingly, only 29% of our respondents have a written financial plan. Really? And so, you know, when you look at your debt, um, your household, where the money's going, and it doesn't, you know, you, do, you don't think budget here, right? Because, you know, you hear that word and it, it can be tough for people to uh, bite off. But simply writing your intentions down with your advisor, um, our studies show that people have a much better track record of debt repayment. And, um, you know, take those measures in connection with their investment and their insurance plans. And so if there were a tip that I could maybe provide is that um, write something down, right? Speak to your advisor, um, put a little plan in place. It doesn't need to be a 20-page document. It can kind of be on the back of a napkin. Um, you know, because so few Canadians actually put their intentions in writing, I think doing so would help set you on the right path, um, you know, in, in concert with your advisor's advice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's important. It, it feels like it's not official until you write something down, even a grocery list, right? I, I can't remember what I need at the store until I write it down. So that's important. And then I also feel that the advisor is almost that that stopgap in a way that, you know, you, you, you talk to them, you make a plan, and then you're more likely to stick to it because you have those check-ins, they ask how you're doing, things like that. So that's putting some structure around it is, is definitely important. So thanks so much, David, for being part of the show, and I hope you'll come back soon. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to be here. Thank you again. Copyright Manulife. Commentary is for general information purposes only and shouldn't be relied on for specific financial, legal, or other advice, and does not constitute an offer or an invitation by or on behalf of Manulife Investment Management to any person to buy or sell any security. Opinions expressed are those of Manulife and or the sub-advisor of Manulife Investment Management and are subject to change based on market or other conditions. Manulife isn't responsible for any losses arising from any use of this information. Manulife Mutual Funds are managed by Manulife Investments, a division of Manulife Investment Management Limited. Manulife Investment Management Limited, formerly named Manulife Asset Management Limited. Manulife Investment Management is a trade name of Manulife Investment Management Limited. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. This information does not replace or supersede KYC, know your client, suitability, needs analysis, or any other regulatory requirements.